0: matchup between your two favorite teams and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express you breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge now it's almost tip off and everyone's already on their feet this is gonna be good see how to elevate your live sports experience at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex don't live life without it Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum card. 8 a.m. Wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. (sighs) Much better. 2 p.m. Grab seats for the game. 6 p.m. Book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply.
1: latest edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz. We've got a new format for you, and our new format is essentially a little bit of the old with, uh, I think, some new elements that you're going to really like. Of course, you're going to still get your interviews with coaches and players, newsmakers from across the country. We're going to sprinkle in uh, influencers and reporters and analysts. Uh, we're also at the back end of the podcast going to be hearing from Chad Acock from Turner Sports. And March Madness, he's going to come at me and challenge me on some of my predictions and really bring the analytical side to the podcast. We're also um, going to have our rankings and our lists that we do every week and headlines at the top, and certainly as we get to games, you'll hear more of the, the the essentially the sounds of the week with some of our headlines. At number one.
2: Washington's carrying the torch for the Pac-12.
3: Oregon advances to the Pac-12 championship game for the fourth time in the last five years.
1: There's been a shift. The power in the Pac-12 has shifted to the Northwest. Uh, Washington consistently recruiting at an elite level. Top 10, top 15 kind of recruiting classes. Oregon tends to reload on a consistent level. The Ducks won the Pac-12. They got to the Sweet 16. Washington won the regular season. I don't see that changing. I think Washington and Oregon are now the power center. Used to be UCLA and Arizona. It's now Washington and Arizona. All right, let's get to headline number two for the Pac-12 this season. It's Steve, my pleasure to introduce uh, Mick Cronin as our new head men's basketball coach here at UCLA. Here's how I spell fun. W-I-N. Offense, defense, win. You heard there, Mick Cronin being announced as the UCLA next head coach. That happened in the offseason. He replaced Steve Alford. It was an exhaustive search. He wasn't the first choice. He knows it. It was clear. They went after some bigger names. But look. They got someone that will make sure this team defends who's a winner. Okay, those are two things that were lacking at times from UCLA consistency of winning. McCronin has won for years at Cincinnati, and he always defended. His team's always defended. So he may not be the first choice. He may not be the sexy choice, but I think McCronin will eventually win at UCLA, and he has to, because not only does UCLA need it, but the Pac 12 needs UCLA to be an elite program in the Pac 12. All right, let's get to our third headline in the Pac-12. The team that we have right now at Arizona, you know, it's 17 and 15. The depth of your team is always challenged in college basketball. And uh, that was our Achilles heel. All right, look, this is a critical season for Arizona. There's no question about it. You know, the other headline that I didn't mention at the top, because we don't know what's going to happen. But yes, there was a notice of allegations that went out to Kansas. And we'll wait and see what happens. We don't know if that will jeopardize or change the season for Kansas. We don't know if there will be one that was sent at some point to Arizona. We don't know these things. So what do we know? We know that Arizona didn't make the NCAA tournament last season. We know that they got a great recruiting class led by Nico Mannion. We know that Chase Jeter is back with the Wildcats up front. We know that Sean Miller consistently has been a winner outside of last season. His teams defend. They play hard. This is a big season for Arizona. They should be a top three, four team in the Pac-12. They should be in the NCAA tournament. Let's see if it happened. There's been disappointment over the last year plus after they lost to Buffalo in the NCAA tournament when they had DeAndre Ayton, who was the top pick in the NBA draft, and they weren't able to advance further in the NCAA tournament. So there's been disappointment. This is a critical season for Arizona. Let's see how they handle it going forward. All right? Those are my top three headlines going into the Pac-12 this season. And now joining me here, March Madness 365, Casey Jacobson, uh, who had an illustrious career at Stanford. I had the pleasure, I'm dating myself, but I covered uh, his career at the end and uh, remember an epic game against Duke in Oakland one year. And uh, so I am a little older than Casey since I covered him, but he's gone on to bigger and better things. And also now a colleague at Fox, also does work for the Pac-12 network. All right, Casey, so let's look ahead to the Pac-12 Media Day is coming up the following week in San Francisco. I'm looking at the favorites being, in some order, Washington, Oregon, Colorado, and Arizona. How do you see it?
2: Yep, I I see it as a a two-tier. I want to include Colorado in that because of the two best players that they return, McKinley Wright and Tyler Bay. But I have Colorado slightly outside of that top tier looking in just because they lack the overall depth and, and talent as as the other three schools that you mentioned. So I think it is going to be won by either Washington, Oregon, or Arizona. But all of those teams, Andy, have a ton of question marks. Arizona is reloading they 're super talented. It would be difficult for me to imagine that they would be able to to win the conference dealing with with some stuff that might happen. Washington, of course, last year Andy they won the league by three games and they lost their two best players and arguably the MVP of the league, which I thought was Matisse Thybul. Um, good luck replacing what he did defensively for them. But they but they do return some um, some good players. They're going to get Quad A Green back in December, a, a really good point guard transfer from Kentucky who fills a void that, Andy, you know, when you watched Washington last year, they desperately needed a floor general, a team leader, and a pure point guard. And that's what Quade Green's going to bring to them. And so he's going to be back in time for Pac-12 play. So maybe they won't be awesome in the non-conference, but I think Washington's absolutely going to be in the mix. And then Oregon, Andy, I'm super excited to see Oregon, but I absolutely have no idea how all of these pieces are going to fit. So, But th- those are the top three teams. They have the most talent. They have good coaches. um, So I give them the nod. And then Colorado, if they can get another guy to step up, maybe Evan Batty, um, uh, the sophomore center is now going to be a junior, steps up a little bit. Uh, Deshaun Schwartz, if he has a good year at the wing position, maybe Colorado can contend with those. Uh, other teams but I I don't see it I just see them as a very good team but not one that's going to have a chance to actually win the conference
1: yeah I think we're going to learn a lot about them in the non-conference they don't have a great schedule but it's games they should win and if you're a veteran team with one of the better point guards, you should win. They've Turnovers have been a problem for them. Uh, I agree with you on your assessment in Arizona, Oregon, Washington. Uh, although overall, it is a theme for the Pac-12 that it's been a problem for them in the non-conference and, and not excelling there. And that, then it puts all on the conference play. And that's why they've been uh, short on bids the last couple of years. All right. In the middle grouping, my sort of three bubbles, if you will, uh, that, that could go either way, Arizona State, USC, and Oregon State – Where do you see those three?
2: It's interesting that you don't have UCLA in that mix. I know. I have them
1: in the next tier. But, you know, make the argument. Make the argument. Yeah,
2: so I, I respectfully disagree. I think UCLA deserves to be in that second mix. Look. They have some really good pieces returning, and I know they lost Jalen Hands and Moses Brown and Chris Wilkes, who were really talented, but with all due respect to those guys' talent level, those guys were not about the team. They were about, how can I possibly score and put up stats so I can move on from UCLA? The guys that they have remaining and some of the guys that they're getting back, like uh, Shaquille oneal son, Sharif O'Neal, Tiger Campbell, the point guard that they were so excited about last year before he tore his ACO, I think uh, maybe a week before the regular season started. They're getting some of these guys back. And, Andy, I don't know if there was a program in America that was more starving for a disciplined defensive minded coach and now they have Mick Cronin. I think he is, uh, we can um, do another separate podcast on the debacle that was their coaching search yes. last summer. But I think Andy, I, I think they landed on a fantastic fit what they need. I don't know if Mick Cronin is, is a top 10 coach in America, but I do know that he is exactly the kind of guy that I would have hired for UCLA if, if they would have called and asked me. So, um, And, and, and they do return some pieces. They're not the UCLA team that, you know, maybe had Lonzo Ball and TJ Leaf a couple years ago. They don't have that kind of talent. But man, they absolutely stack up with some of the other teams that you mentioned, like Arizona State. And, and, and USC. Um, so I'm, I'm really curious to see what Mick can do in his first year trying to establish his, his uh, identity with that team. Uh, I think it's going to be fascinating to watch. Um, I, I am also excited about USC. I just think their freshman class is fantastic. Um, and I think one of the keys for them, Andy, is going to be, can they get Elijah Weaver, who is their fresh. he's a lefty point guard, big body, he's like 6'3 or 6'4", I kind of built like a running back if he can limit his turnovers and become the playmaker that, that head coach Andy Anfield really needs. They they missed uh, – when Jordan McLaughlin graduated a couple years ago, they really missed his steady play at the point guard position. And you know as well as anybody, you, you can't be a consistent team if you don't get consistent production on the offense and defensive end from the point guard position. So if Elijah Weaver can kind of grow into that uh, and really feed the, the other guys that they have on, on USC's roster – um, I really like USC's front court. They're big, long, and defensively, they're going to be able to play man or zone really well because they'll be able to rebound and block shots. Um, Onyeko Kongwu is, is another guy that I don't think a lot of East coasters really know about, Andy. He's, he was a freshman on that Chino Hills team when Lonzo Ball was a senior and they went undefeated. Um, and uh, when, when Lonzo Ball left, it became on Yucca's team, basically. And, and they, they won another state championship two seasons ago and, and have uh, been really impressive. He, he's a player um, that may not be a one-and-done, but definitely could be an NBA player. And I don't think a lot of people have even seen him play. Really impressive.
1: Trey Tinkle, McKinley Wright the IV, uh, yeah. maybe someone else. Who would you pick to be preseason player of the year?
2: Well, um, I, I think some of these freshmen might have a little bit, uh, some some things to say about it. There's no question to me. I think Isaiah Stewart is a freshman at Washington that is going to be physically ready to dominate. And if Washington wins the conference, which I think they can – I think Isaiah Stewart is going to be a guy's uh, a one that, you know, we're going to mention. Um, Jaden McDaniels, also from Washington, a freshman. So, again, if Washington wins, I think they're going to have a chance to to claim uh, a freshman player of the year, although not likely. How about uh, a Peyton Pritchard? Um, you know, if Oregon ends up, you know, kind of figuring things out, like Dana Allman's teams usually do towards the end of the year, kind of like they did last year, making the Sweet 16, I think Peyton Pritchard is going to have a fantastic year. He's going to have more weapons around him than he has in the past two seasons. He's a senior um, as well. So, um, But there's no question to me, though, that the, the best uh, statistical player is Trace Tinkle. But I don't care about that, Andy. I, I never go into a season – uh, thinking, all right, this guy's going to average 20 points, eight rebounds, and four assists. That's really impressive. That's about what Trace Tinkle is probably going to put up next year. But he does – I want to put it into context, and I don't want to be a hater, but you got to put his numbers in a context. Oregon State uh, has not had a point guard. Uh, basically, uh, since Gary Payton II graduated, which was the last time that that Oregon State made the NCAA tournament, in 2016, when he left, Trace Tinkle and Stephen Thompson have basically shared point guard duties. Anytime they get a, a rebound on the defensive end, they enter the offense. They they have full autonomy to do whatever they want, and because of that. Trace Tinkle gets to shoot, handle the ball, and make more decisions than any wing or forward on the entire West Coast, maybe outside of Rui Hachimura. So. He's going to put up a ton of numbers. But, Andy, if Oregon State can't finish in the top three, then it's not a conversation worth having to me. So these individual honors, although fun to talk about, I love it, you can't give a player of the year award to a player that plays on a team that finishes outside the top four or five in the conference. And I don't think Oregon State legitimately has a chance to finish in the top four. So because of that, you know, as much as I love Trace Tinkle, he's not going to be the Pac-12 player of the year.
1: All right, Casey, one last thing. The bottom teams that we've now sort of put there, uh, Cal, your alma mater, Stanford, Washington State, Utah, if you had to pick one that could get out of that group into a bubble group, which one would it be? Well,
2: uh, you know, uh, recent history would tell you that Utah should be that team. Like, they always outperform. I believe it's the fifth straight year, or for the five, last five years, uh, Larry Kraskowiak's Teams have finished ahead of where the media has predicted them, but I really do think that Utah is going to take a gigantic step back. They just don't have the level of talent. They're losing Cedric Bearfield at the point guard position, um, so I think it might be Stanford that has a chance. Dejon Davis is now a junior point guard for them. He's been a turnover machine. He's got to figure out a way to limit those turnovers and still take over games when he needs to. They have the Desha- um, uh, Oscar Da Silva, uh, a German kid who's now also a-, a junior, kind of a hybrid power forward. They need those two guys to lead them. If they do, I think uh, Stanford has some talent and some experience that some of those other teams do not.
1: Casey, always a pleasure. I know I will see you soon. Thank you.
2: Andy, you're
1: the best, man. Have a good one. All right, before we get to Arizona State head coach Bobby Hurley, it's time for the hashtag Cats Ranks segment of our podcast. In keeping with our Pac-12 theme, I'm going to rank my top 10 players in the Pac-12 this season. Now, this ranking is based on experience, who I think is going to have a major impact. Some of these guys are freshmen. That's why I was a little reluctant to put them at the top. So here we go, at number ten, a veteran player for Colorado, Tyler Bay. At number nine, this is getting into my freshman section. Onyeka Okongwu from USC, he's going to have a major impact inside. He's going to be an anchor player along with Isaiah Mobley for Annie Enfield and the Trojans. At number eight, remember that heralded freshman class for Oregon, CJ Walker. At number seven, Nico Mannion from Arizona. He's going to be the anchor, the lead guard for Sean Miller and the Arizona Wildcats. Another freshman. Stay with that trend. Go up to Washington for number six and five. At six, Jaden McDaniels for the Huskies. At number five, Isaiah Stewart for Washington. That tandem is going to help Washington, I think, win the Pac 12 regular season title. At number four, we go back to the veterans. Remy Martin from Arizona State, he's going to lead Bobby Hurley's squad to another NCAA tournament berth. At number three, Peyton Pritchard from Oregon, one of the candidates for Pac-12 Preseason Player of the Year. Came back to play with a host of newcomers and some transfers like Anthony Mathis, transferred from New Mexico. At number two, Trey Tinkle from Oregon State. He may lead the Pac-12 in a number of categories this season and a Pac-12 preseason player of the year candidate. In fact, he may be named it by a number of people. But I'm going with my choice for the Pac-12 player of the year, McKinley Wright, the fourth of Colorado, at number one. The top and most important player in the Pac-12, because if Colorado is going to get to the NCAA tournament this season, it will be because of McKinley Wright. He's at number one. So that's my rankings of one to ten, top ten players this season, in the Pac-12. And now joining me here, March Madness 365, Bobby Hurley, the head coach of Arizona State. And Bobby, two years in a row, first four in Dayton. Uh, I had some fun in my uh, pre-preseason bracket and put you there again. Uh, so on one side, i got you back in the tournament. The other, I said, oh, why not? Three years in a row.
4: She's so, got a time, get a time there, I know,
1: maybe. I know. Yeah. <laughs> the first four presented by Arizona State. Um, all right, so... I've got optimism for your group. I talked to Remy Martin. As you saw, great kid. He just shaved the beard. He had the James Harden look. Uh, you've had practice has started this week. Where is your level of optimism with this group in terms of a team that can compete near the top of the Pac-12 and get back to the tournament, maybe not just in Dayton, but obviously a little bit higher up?
4: Yeah, I think that the thing that I like the most about this group is that it's it's now we have – generated a couple of classes that have have had successful seasons and there's uh you know a developing culture and expectation of you know winning a lot of basketball games and and playing in postseason getting to the ncaa tournament and you know we return you know five of our top seven from last year and and three of those guys are, are are juniors now that have played in two ncaa tournaments and Remy Martin is, is the leader, and but also uh, you have Romello White inside, who's had a you know a great off season, is in the best shape that he's been in since uh, he's been here, uh, and then Kamani Lawrence is, is a potential you know breakout guy as well. So it's uh, you know, I just think the experience that we have, and and just the belief that you know we're a program that has an expectation of playing in the NCAA tournament.
1: You know, I was actually at an event last week with the NCAA and. Two athletic directors that you know well, Ray Anderson, your current athletic director, and Danny White, uh, the person who hired you in Buffalo, were there. And we jokingly said there's a common theme here with Bobby Hurley. uh, And they both spoke, obviously, very highly of you and your work ethic and all that. And uh, when you look back at your head coaching experience, when you look from, you know, getting that chance at Buffalo – putting in your time, and now the opportunity you have at Arizona State, Uh, what are you most proud of to this point?
4: I just think that, you know, the most rewarding thing for me has been being able to pass on everything, you know, that I've experienced, and and it goes back to growing up with the game and uh, learning, you know, the game from my dad, and, you know, and then uh, obviously experiences at Duke, and then the playing experience of, of having won national championships, and played in the NBA and, and the path that it takes to get there. And, and then, you know, to have a chance to coach with my brother. So using all these experiences to, uh, to have an impact on the guys that I've coached and, and just seeing now for years as a head coach, former players that are, that are playing professionally all over the world and, uh, and the relationships that you have with those guys. And, uh, and so, I mean, that's been the greatest part, you know, of, of being a head coach and, you know, just the whole process the whole journey now for this team is exciting because this this group will only be together for this year and you know what can we accomplish uh, this year's group
1: you know the other thing that's interesting about Arizona State I was talking to Ray about this is you guys actually did it sort of the reverse a lot of times you need to win first and then create a buzz social media and all that and yeah the curtain distraction which sort of had a life of its own prior to you guys being successful and now it's just gets amplified even more. Uh, how would you sort of judge the way things have changed in terms of the game experience and the buzz around your program and and how it's now a happening to go to games in Tempe?
4: Yeah, I mean, it's been unbelievable. It's it, it was so good the last two years, and I think it started non-conference run two years ago and just upsetting Xavier and, and Kansas on the road and some of those big wins we had, and getting to number three in the country and just our fans just showed up and they were like, you know, we got to see what's going on. And, you know, we were a fun team watch, really exciting team could put points on the board. So we were an entertaining team and we've been able to, to carry over, you know, into last year to, to have Kansas again, number one in the country on our court and deliver and, and win that game. And, And then to to finally break through with Arizona and beat Arizona at our place, our fans now have been able to taste that. So it's exciting. You know, my first year, Andy, when I was here, it was probably 60 percent Arizona State fans, 40 percent Arizona fans in our in our home game. And uh, it's about 95 five or was last year. So that's uh that's been the progress that we've been able to make just people are really interested in what we're
1: doing yeah i mean you have experience of this i mean when you would play at duke and carolina very difficult for Carolina fans to get in Cameron and, and yep. vice versa, uh, when the games at Carolina. I mean, you want to build that. You want that to be the case. In fact, you know, you, it, it should be more the case because even though there are Arizona alums in the Phoenix area, uh, it's a, what is it, two hour drive? I mean, there's more, yes. t- more distance rather than eight miles between the two schools. The non-conference conference, you just mentioned the Kansas game. You guys have uh, probably more than any other Pac-12 school of the last couple of years have really played the non-conference schedule well. And then once you get into the Pac-12, that's where things have gotten a little muddled to where you've had Mm -hmm. to sort of scrap and claw to get into the tournament. How do you fix that?
4: I just think we have to try and avoid the games that you lose that you can't afford to lose. And that's, uh, you know, we've been, we were impacted by just across the board not having, you know, our best non-conference as far as the Pac-12. And so we would be going into those games in league and, almost feel like if, if you lose to Cal, you know, you might be out of a tournament, you know, so it was a lot of pressure for a power conference to know that, you know, you had to win certain games or or you would pay a huge penalty for it. And I think, you know, our game after Christmas was an issue for us, the Princeton game. And that hurt us uh, just after we had beaten Kansas and uh, which is always a dangerous game after you let your guys go home for a couple of days um, to try and get them grounded again. And, uh, get them to the respect Prince in the way they needed to and and then we had another one of those games uh that was Washington State at home where we were really flat and you know didn't play our best, so you just can't afford to lose those games if you're if you're in a league that is not viewed as being you know having a great uh rating you know just because we didn't handle our business collectively in the non-conference but i think that's a point of emphasis amongst our coaches in the pac-12 this year is to try and get off to a fast start in the non-conference
1: bobby how do you how do you channel your intensity because clearly you coach with a lot of emotion but there are times when you got to keep it a little bit in check
4: i mean it's always a fluid thing and it's always a kind of a feel thing for me and and what what our team needs uh you know, I was probably as composed as I've ever been in, on the sidelines when we were at Kansas two years ago because uh, just had tremendous confidence in what our players were doing. But also I knew that it was such a hostile environment and I needed to, to be more stable for them. But it's kind of uh, really depends on, on what the game offers and, and, and I kind of play it by feel.
1: And if we can't pick Arizona State, who else would you say heading into this season? I won't have you pick ASU. Uh, do you do you anticipate will be those teams that you're going to be chasing?
4: You know, I think that there's there's seven teams or you know maybe eight that that have the potential to to really have a strong season. And, uh, you know, nothing is for, ta- you know, we can't take anything, anything for granted, just because we've had two great, uh, non-conferences and two NCAA tournament appearances that we're destined to go. We got to prepare for it and work for it. Um, I'm ducking your question. I don't want to single anyone out, but you, you look at teams like Colorado that really bring almost their entire team back and have that experience and really good guard play and, things that are important to winning and uh and then you've had the traditional, you know, powers in our league. Uh you know, Oregon is has really reloaded and you know, Arizona has a tremendous recruiting class and thought they overachieved and were very well coached for for what they had last year. So I mean I I think it's gonna be pretty balanced and 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 it's fairly wide open though.
1: And of course Washington has a great recruiting class as well. Absolutely (laughs) missed them. Last thing, Bobby let you go, uh you you know, you definitely sweat a lot. You're intense. You lose the jacket early. Why not just come out with no tie? I never understand. Why even bother with the tie?
4: You know, I, I, that's a good question, Andy. <laughs> it's it's something to, to, to think about uh, and, and consider. Um, I Because uh, you end up I'm loosening really- it.
1: You know, it's around your neck. I mean, uh, I'm a big believer in for if you're going to be an intense coach and you're going to be really screaming and yelling and getting down in the stance and everything, you don't need your, you know, your throat constricted like that. I mean, what's the no one's going to judge you if you don't have a tie on.
4: The only thing I'll say and is if if there is a real stressful moment out there where, you know, I could always go to removing the tie, you know, and you know if you if you have no jacket and and no tie then i mean there's nothing that i I could really remove if i needed to to take it to another level
1: that's true true. we don't need to have you coaching an undershirt yeah yeah you look good though uh bobby i appreciate it thank you
4: yeah no problem great catching up andy take care
1: now let's bring on chad acock who runs our social platforms for all things march madness and Uh, Like me, probably watches more college basketball than anyone. And throughout the season, here on March Madness 365, we're going to bring Chad on to help us look ahead to the upcoming week. That'll happen, obviously, once we start playing games. But uh, for these purposes, as we go into media days and conference themes uh, over the month of October. And so we're going to get into some predictions. All right, so Chad, what
3: do you have for us this week? All right, Andy. Since we're doing a conference preview show, I want to look way ahead to where the Pac-12 is going to sit in March. Look, I think we're both expecting a better showing than what we saw the last two years out of the Pac-12, right? You know, 2018, they only sent three teams dancing. UCLA, Arizona State, they both got bounced in the first four, and then we saw a, a pretty good Arizona squad led by DeAndre Ayton. They just got rolled by Buffalo. 2019, kind of a similar situation. The regular season champs, you know, they only earned a nine seed, Washington. Oregon, the only reason they got in was because they stole a bid after winning the conference tournament. And and then it was Arizona State's turn uh, to get rolled by Buffalo. So shout out to Buffalo for really dominating the Pac-12 lately in March. Uh, But needless to say, it it can't get much worse for the Pac-12. So, Andy, let's just break it down into tiers. And I want to start with your locks to make the dance in 2020.
1: All right, so this could be somewhat controversial, only because uh, I am putting a lot of stock in the Pac-12, having a little bit of a revival. And so I've got Washington returning as champs, an unbelievable recruiting class uh, led by Isaiah Stewart and Jaden McDaniels. The zone is working very well for Mike Hopkins. Uh, I finally think this is the year for Colorado. Uh, I don't know if they're going to finish second, but I think they'll finish somewhere in the top four. McKinley Wright, the fourth, uh, one of the better point guards in the country that's not... Received a lot of national pub. Tyler Bay is back, and and Tad Boyle's got this team that's been close, and I think they get across the threshold. Oregon, which was really gutted by the early entry NBA draft, uh, more so than I think they thought they were going to have losing guys like Lewis King, Kenny Wooten, who had good uh, seasons uh, toward the end, and I don't think everyone thought they were going to leave, and they did. We all knew Bobo, hurt or not hurt, was going to leave, but they had an outstanding recruiting class. Uh, They picked up a transfer, Anthony Mathis, from New Mexico. I think he'll have a really good year for him. They bring back Peyton Pritchard. Uh, I think they're going to be back in with not having to win the Pac-12 tournament. And then Arizona. I'm putting a lot of faith in this recruiting class, led by Nico Mannion, outstanding point guard. He's going to be a freshman. They got Chase Jeter back. Uh, I just don't see a Sean Miller coach team missing out on the NCAA tournament two years in a row. So those are my four locks
3: for now. All right, look, I'm right there with you on Colorado and Oregon. We saw the Ducks win 10 straight down the stretch to reach that Sweet 16 game. I really do, I agree. Peyton Pritchard, he's going to keep that momentum going, and I, I think he actually leads the Ducks to a, a Pac-12 title. And I know they lost a lot to uh, with talent, but they're going to bring in a couple of five-stars, like you said, the transfers. Not to mention, Andy, Oregon... They reached a sweet 16 three out of the last four years, so I really just trust Dana Altman to keep this squad rolling, get them going when it matters most. And then Colorado, not only are they bringing back their top six scores, they're bringing back all eight guys that started at least one game. After they won 10 out of 12 down the stretch and bringing back a ton of experience, I do think we could be uh, looking at a top two finish for the Buffs. But Andy, like, that's all I've got for true locks. Considering there was a time when we were talking about a one bid Pac 12 last year, I just have a hard time calling four teams a lock to make it. Like, what do you think?
1: Why are you not all in on Washington? I'm, I'm curious. I can, I can, I, I'll, I'll give you Arizona because the guys coming back last year, you know, they didn't make Uh, the NCAA tournament. So you've got veteran guys returning who weren't in the NCAA tournament. We're putting a lot of stock in the freshman class uh, and the coaching. So I'm okay if people are not all in on Arizona. and I've had them all over the place in the Power 36. But what is your basically, your hesitancy on Washington? Sure, sure.
3: Look, I'm not not saying they're not going to get in. I do think they get in. I'm just more hesitant on Arizona and Washington. Washington, like they lost 82% of their major scoring and I know they're going to rely on these good freshmen the five stars Jay McDaniels Isaiah Stewart to kind of go with Quade Green I just got to see how this team looks on the court before I feel comfortable calling them a lock kind of a similar situation with Arizona right look look I am in on the Nico Mannion hype the Josh Green hype this could be a cool looking backcourt but I'd really just got to see how they fit how they lead this team uh, especially with the loss of uh, that season-ending season ending injury that Brandon Williams had. Both of these teams, they're going to rely heavily on the freshmen. And for that reason, I'm just out on calling them locks. But now let's shift over to bubble teams. Andy, which teams do you have on the right side of the bubble? So this
1: this is going to be fluid. I, I still like Arizona State, and I like USC, uh, I like Arizona State more than USC, even though I had Arizona State as one of my teams in the first four in Dayton. Uh, I think maybe the next time I do this, I may flip that. You know, with, with Arizona State, Remy Martin comes back. They did lose Lou Dort. Uh, but there's, a, there's just a feeling in Tempe with Bobby Hurley that this, this team, we've seen in the non-conference, they've had some big-time non-conference wins, maybe the best non-conference wins in the Pac-12 the last couple of years. I feel like that trend's going to continue. They play their tails off. And, you know, it's funny. I had them projected going back to Dayton three years in a row. So I have them on the bubble. I feel like they're in that same group. USC, I'm putting a lot of faith in their recruiting class. Uh, They went on a summer trip to Spain. So they've played together a little bit. So I've got them in that bubble group. Now, the one school that I debated, and I probably should have maybe shifted a little bit higher, and I think you're high on them, and that's Oregon State, and Trey Tinkle is the is the player that ultimately could end up being the Pac-12 Player of the Year. I'm going with McKinley right in the preseason. Some people have Peyton Pritchard. It could end up being Trey Tinkle, but that Oregon State's the one school that I might be wrong on here. They may finish higher than I have them, at least in my grouping.
3: Yeah, Andy, like you said, I love Bobby Hurley and the culture and the energy he's brought to this ASU program. Like you said, the last two years, they've kind of barely snuck into the first four, kind of thanks in large part to a couple of wins over Kansas. I just don't know if they get that big win to push them in this year, especially losing Dorton Cheatham, only bringing back 57% of their major scoring. I just don't see it happening this year for the Sun Devils. But I do like the USC call, though. You know, they kind of disappointed last year. But I think they're going to have one of the best front courts in the Pac-12. They got Nick Rokosevich, the couple of five-star freshmen, Okongwu and Mobley. Like I think they'll be squarely on the bubble, kind of like you said, but I think they'll be on the right side of that bubble. And yeah, I am very high on Oregon State. I don't think enough teams are, en- enough people are talking about this team. Trace Tinkle playing for his father Wayne. I think he's going to light up the Pac-12. He averaged twenty-one eight and four last year. Twenty-one eight and four, Andy. He's my preseason pick to win Pac-12 Player of the Year. And on top of that, they're bringing back Kyler Kelly. He's the big man. He's the rim protector. I don't think a lot of people realize he finished second in the country with 3.4 block shots per game. They're bringing back an upperclassman upper, upper squad, 74% of their scoring, adding a 6'10 transfer from BYU, Peyton Dashrip. I just think they find a way to sneak into that bubble discussion and get in.
1: Look, I, I agree with you, I, and I probably should have put them a little bit higher. And it's all going to come down to the non-conference for a lot of these schools. That's been the problem for the Pac-12. You and I have dissected, you know, when we get closer to the tournament and dealing with uh, the bubble. And so often of it, we look back at the Pac-12 and what they did in the non-conference, especially in those tournaments. When they have an opportunity to play in those three-game non-conference tournaments in November. When you lose that first game and suddenly you're not playing tournament-type teams in games two and three – That can really derail your non-conference record or your non-conference strength of schedule. So how those schools do in a lot of these high-profile non-conference games early in the season will really determine the depth of potential bids that are going to come out of the Pac-12 this year.
3: Yeah, no doubt. It's going to be fun to watch in November, December, to see what kind of non-conference wins they can rack up. Uh, But Andy, you know, we mentioned Oregon, their bid-stealing run last year. It was so fun to watch. Which team that we haven't talked about yet, has the best chance to make that kind of a run to steal a bid in March from the Pac-12?
1: Well, you know, I, I don't see Washington. I mean, I could do process of elimination. It's not Washington State. Uh, it's not Cal. I mean, they're in a complete rebuild. I'm not sold on Stanford either. You know, they've sort of been taking on water lately. You know, I guess the two outliers that, that consistently um, are better... Or at least, well, let me rephrase this. Utah is one to school that tends to overachieve. So if we're looking at one that could get better over the course of the season, uh, I would put Utah in that grouping. And then you can never have a Pac-12 discussion and not mention UCLA. I mean, UCLA, obviously under Mick Cronin, they're going through a rebuild as well. Uh, Prince Le is probably going to be maybe their best player. But it is UCLA. Could they get hot? Could they – you know, could Mick – end up getting them to defend the way he has always defended at Cincinnati because obviously if you can defend that's something that can be in your arsenal as you're making a move toward winning try to winning three or four games in a row in Las Vegas in March so those would be the two I guess UCLA without really seeing them play because it's UCLA and it's Mick and he's had good success in postseason tournaments uh, I, I'd probably lean UCLA as, as sort of that outlier that maybe could get better as the season goes along and could be a bid stealer
3: yeah I totally agree I think UCLA—it's just going to be so interesting to watch what this team looks like with Mick Cronin. You touched on Andy—he's—he's he's so big on defense. He's so big on toughness. That's all we saw with those teams in Cincinnati. You know, maybe we revisit this in January after we've kind of seen the product on the court. But I think UCLA is the best pick there.
1: All right. So every week and during uh, the month of October, we're going obviously going to go conference by conference with Chad. But uh, Chad's going to add. You know, a a good debating partner for me about teams and players and trends uh, on the backside of our podcast here on March Madness 365 so you can get a little bit of chat and obviously Chad, as I said at the top, leads our coverage which has been phenomenal on March Madness on all our social media platforms. We are dominating the space. Keep coming back, uh, whether it's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, we've got it all for you. So this will wrap up this edition, our sort of reformatted edition of March Madness 365. We've got so much for you, certainly as the season tips off at the Champions Classic on November 5th at Madison Square Garden where me and Chad will be there for that unbelievable tip-off event that's really been a great uh, tip-off to the season the last couple of seasons. So you can find this podcast wherever you download your podcasts, of course on iTunes, and on all our social media platforms, on March Madness, on Twitter, on Facebook, wherever you get your podcast, make sure you download March Madness 365. Thanks for listening.
0: You're getting the most out of being at a game with American Express. The card member entrance, the lounge, and out tip-off. See how to elevate your live sports experience at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've,
3: I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that! And even, checkouts not until four, so...
0: Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. See how to elevate your experiences at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply.